Uh, we are starting a brand new series today called Ducks in a Row. I love the graphic. Don't you love the graphic? Uh, called Ducks in a Row. And I've decided because I like the graphic and because there's so many hilarious memes out there that are around this, I'm going to start every sermon with a couple memes, okay? Just so you can have some fun uh, with the phrase. Here's a couple. Uh, I don't have all, not even some of my ducks in a row, but they're all in the same pond. So I have that going for me, which is cool. All right. I know many people feel that way sometimes. I like this one too. I do not have ducks or a row. I have squirrels and they're everywhere. I think that applies to me more than anything else, all right? Um, that phrase, that phrase, I mean, this is, not, this is a very common phrase. It's one of the reasons we liked it. Um, that, that I, I went to look back just to see the origins. And actually, you can, you can go all the way back to a publication in 1889 in which that phrase, to have your ducks in a row, is actually used. Not used exactly the same way, uh, but that's sort of this origination, and there's lots of different ways, like bowling and other things that was used in the, in the 30s, and it's, I mean, it's just really interesting to go see. But it's an idiom, that phrase is an idiom, and what I like about that is that it's really just something that we commonly use to talk about getting prepared, you know, getting organized, right? Uh, getting your stuff together. Um, if you're a lawyer, that's getting all your depositions and case files and things in order. If you're a, you know, if you're a doctor, it's getting uh, your, everything prepped for surgery and everything else. If you're a, a food server, you, know, you, you want to have your workstation ready before a big... So that's what we use it for. We use it for this idea of like getting prepared, getting ready, getting our stuff together, aligning, right? Aligning it. We're going to use this phrase as a church over the next several weeks in this series, talking very specifically, I had to kind of formulate some words, um, not create some, but just kind of bring some together, to talk about the big picture of what we're going to talk about spiritually from a ducks in a row standpoint. And the big picture is, is that wouldn't you like everything in your life, every area of your life, your family, your home, your job, your finances, your career, your hobbies, your, you know, just everything, your money, wouldn't you like all of that going in the same direction? Wouldn't you enjoy having a life in every area of life that feels like it has some synergy to it versus things in your life feeling like it's pulling, up, pulling away or that there's tension there or that you know, there's things moving in opposite directions and that you feel sort of like pulled from each direction? That's what a lot of people do would describe things in their life as. And so we're going to be talking about it from this big, big high level, ducks in a row, Prepared intentional stewardship. Let's all read it out loud together, these three words. Prepared intentional stewardship. Read it again. It's prepared intentional stewardship. We're going to look at all three of these over the next few weeks. Prepared primarily meaning that there is preparation, there is organization, there is some, some uh, pre-decisions, right? Some decisions and kind of pre-deciding some things based on priorities and values and things in your life. There's, there's a preparation that's involved. Intentional meaning that you know the why behind the what's that you do, right? The, what's, the what are the actions, the things that you do, the what, but you also know the why. You know the why around the what's in your life. And then stewardship. Stewardship is a big word we use in the church all the time to talk about. Say it out loud. What do we talk about? Yeah, money. Okay. Everybody take a deep breath. This is not a money message. All right. 
It's not. Because again, we're looking at it from a big picture. Now, it is talked about in Scripture in terms of money, because the Bible talks about money quite a bit. Uh, But it's a bigger idea in terms of God's provision, in terms of everything that we have belongs to him, in terms of, of our lives really are just stewards of our lives. We're stewards of our kids. We're stewards of our intellect. We're stewards of our, of our job. We're stewards of our opportunities. That's what we're stewards of. And so it's a big, we're going to look at the big picture of that. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk about stewardship again today. Take a deep breath. It's not money. I can promise you. All right. This is the theme verse for the series. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So this is the theme of our, of our series. We really do believe that, that Paul to the church is writing with a message from God that says, don't act thoughtlessly. Be wise. Don't be foolish. Know what it is that God wants you to do. Take advantage of the opportunities that you have in your life How are you going to do that? Well, you're going to have to do that by understanding the prepared intentional stewardship that we're called to live. Now, stewardship, just again, because it's a bigger picture than just money, I'll give you a quick definition of that. What does it mean? It's personal responsibility over what resources have uh, been entrusted to me, right? It's personal responsibility over what resources have been entrusted to me. That's, that's, what per, that's what stewardship really means. To be a steward is to say, I have personal responsibility, means I'm personally accountable to something that's not mine, but has been entrusted to me, that has been given to me, that has been uh, you know, uh, uh, granted to me to, to use, to enjoy, but to be a steward of, meaning that is really never, ever actually mine. It's always something I'm a steward of. Our dreams, our gifts, our money, our times, our talents, um, our opportunities, and even our trials and our hardships that have been sovereignly ordained by God. Even some of the things that we've walked through, even some of the sin, the consequences of our sin, God can use if we understand that we are now stewards of God's process and God's use of that in our story. Everything, everything is his. Now, I would look at this and just give you, I'm going to give you a quick uh, example because this is the only time I'll hit this in this series. But I think that where you start with stewardship, in terms of understanding stewardship, is you start with just the understanding that stewardship is discipleship. Okay? Discipleship, which is just, we are followers of Christ. That's what we're called, disciples. But Jesus was actually really clear that we needed to, to sort of count the cost, that we needed to understand what it meant to say we were going to follow him, to say we were going to be a disciple. And I think this is a good place to start. This is a good foundation of understanding stewardship. Matter of fact, these is, this is Jesus' words here. We're going to be looking in Luke. Jesus says, if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Meaning there's a price to pay. There's a cost involved. Sacrificial cost involved to to following me. And he actually goes on to say, don't begin until you say the three words out loud. Yeah, we're going to pretend we're all here. Okay, you ready? Don't begin until you what? Count the cost. Who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? 
Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone will laugh at you. They would say, hey, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Gives a couple other examples uh, as Luke records um, the eyewitness testimonies of Jesus' words. A couple other examples, but this is Jesus basically saying, listen, there's there's something going to be required of you, even in your faith even in your stewardship, even in the salvation that we've received from him. We are stewards of that, actually, believe it or not. And we are to count the cost. Okay, I'm not saying anybody in here, you guys are all amazing, but maybe you know someone, right? You know someone who's been on the fringe of church life. Uh, They've been on the fringe of of this, and and they've enjoyed the benefits They've enjoyed the benefits of Christianity. They might even call themselves a Christian. They've enjoyed the benefits of the community of faith, of small groups, of church life, because it's good. There's good benefits there. But then when stuff hit the fan okay, in their life, and they came to a crossroads, and they didn't actually know what their faith was going to cost them. And the answer, believe it or not, is it costs everything. Your faith costs everything. Because everything is his. We've been purchased with a price. We've been bought. Our lives are not our own. This is what the scripture teaches us. So you understand, I won't hit this every week, but steward, just understanding that we're talking about stewardship, not just from a picture of how you use your you know, time and money and talents and things. We're talking about it from a basic level of just understanding this is, this is what it is to be a disciple. It's to begin to shift your mind and understand that stewardship is your life. This is your life. This big picture understanding of not only being prepared and intentional, but being a steward is a part of how we can begin to get our ducks in a row, how we can begin to see every part of our lives go in the same direction and be used the way God wants to use it, to do every good work as our, as our uh, theme verse, and understanding what the Lord wants us to do. Uh, today, we're going to look at a primary, an old story. Don't put the scripture up just yet, uh, Tony, if you don't mind. I want to give a little bit of a backstory, okay? And this is just primarily because I love reading the Bible. I fell in love with the Old Testament probably 15 years ago or so. Um, up to that point, now I've been a Christian my whole life, but up to that point, I didn't like reading the Old Testament. I don't like reading things out of order. I don't like, uh, I, I, I got tripped up on the words until I started having fun with them, you know, because I couldn't say all the names right. I got tripped up on older things, and I just, anyway, I just didn't, I didn't do it. But I fell in love with the Old Testament years ago. I got a chronicle, a chronological Bible, okay? It was fantastic. It was, it was just, it was a breakthrough for me that I needed to, to just embrace and understand the history of God's people. I just encourage you to read it. Now, we're going to look at a, t- at a story with a widow and her two sons. And, in, and it's in the time of Elisha the prophet, okay? This is the very beginning, not very beginning, but early on in Elisha's ministry. And you can find his story in 2 Kings. That's where we're going to be if you want to open up your Bible. In 2 Kings, just to give you a, a glimpse here, we're going to be in chapter 4, but, you know, chapter 1 is all about Elijah, who was his predecessor. This is where Elijah gets called up, and if you know the story, it's fire separates him and Elisha, and God just brings Elijah up to heaven like in a whirlwind. It's just it's an amazing story. And Elisha has asked for a double portion of God's blessing. And it's phenomenal to see, just see things begin 
All right, he uses his cloak, he splits the, 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 the Jordan River, he walks into a village, they're having trouble with their water supply, uh, Elisha just pours some salt in it and blesses it, and it just, just fresh water everywhere, and, it's, and it says it's fresh to this day, like it was an everlasting uh, miracle and change. Um, there was a time, now, you know, some stories are hard, harder to read than others, there's some children making fun of uh, Elisha. And uh, he called out some mama bears to uh, attack the children, all right? So you just have to read the Bible, okay? Just understand, you have to read the Bible. I don't know why, can't answer the question, just telling you what's there, all right? He helps three kings that unite to defeat the Moabites. He helps them not only in battle because he respects one of the kings, but he helps them in battle and they're, they're out, they're gathered together, they're out to, 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 to uh, fight this, the Moabites and, and the enemies of God and uh, they don't have any fresh water and you know, Elisha tells him to dig some holes and he gets somebody to play a harp, which is really cool, right? He gets somebody to play a harp and then the next morning, water is just all over the valley in these holes that they dug. It's a, it's a phenomenal story. That brings us to chapter four. Elisha's already got some amazing stuff. I'm telling you, there's nothing on Netflix better than this, okay? All right, the, the stories that you can get into in some of the Old Testament history of God's people is just phenomenal. Elisha is just one of those that I love, and this is one that I don't, I don't know if I've ever taught this, but it's a story that I remember quite often in terms of the principles we're going to talk about today. So we're going to be in chapter 4, just a few verses at the beginning in terms of this story. I'll put it up on the screen for you online as well. One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out. This is the widow of someone who was a, a part of a group of prophets, and he passed away. And it says, my husband who, ser who served you is dead. Served you, meaning prophet of God, serving God. And you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come and is threaten threatening to take my two sons as slaves. Elisha says, what can I do to help you? Right? That's a, that's a, that's a good question. What can, what can I do to help you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? Tell me, what do you have in the house? Read it out loud. What's those three words? Yeah. This is going to be important, these three words, because her response is oftentimes our response. What do you have? Elisha's like, what do you, what do you have in the house? What do, you, what, do you, what, do you, what do you have right now? Nothing. I don't have anything. Actually, the verse goes on to say, nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. I mean, in terms of her her crisis, it seems pretty insignificant. What do you have? Well, a flask of olive oil. It's, I mean, accept that. I have that. Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and from neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons, shut the door behind you, pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it's filled. So he did. So she did, just as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she, kept, and she filled one after another. And soon every container was filled to the brim. Bring me another jar. Every mother can hear that phrase, right? All right. She said to one of her sons, there aren't any more. No more jars. He told her, and then the olive oil stopped flowing. It means the flask was empty. 
When she told the man of God, Elisha, what had happened, he then said to her, now sell the olive oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what's left over. Again, this has never been one of these passages that I've ever formed a sermon out of before, but today, as I was thinking about the big picture of stewardship, as I was thinking about really kind of just getting an understanding of our lives in terms of how God wants to use us and how we can, can live these lives of prepared, intentional stewardship, kind of getting our ducks in a row, what are some principles from this story that I really do believe help us? I'm going to give you three this morning. You can uh, write these down. I've got a couple more scriptures I'll give you this morning, but, but these are the main things that we see. All right, first and foremost, you always have something that God can use. You always have something that God can use. You know, one of the things that people struggle with when it comes to stewardship is the idea that everything belongs to God. Your brain, your intellect, your activity, the opportunities you've been given since you were a child, the family you were born into, the, op- the family you now have, your, your children. Like, everything belongs to him. And he has entrusted you, has entrusted me with everything. So when we actually really get that, you know, if somebody said, well, what do you have? What has God given you? You should be able to answer everything, right? You should be able to just start a list and really not stop. The problem is, is that most of us live in a place where we are so focused on what we do not have versus what we have, right? We're always focused on what we don't have. We have money, but we don't have sort of all the money we'd like to have. Right? We have our jobs and our careers, but there's always something that we don't have. Right? We have possessions and, and you know, maybe a roof over your head and cars to drive, but, but for some reason we're just wired to where we're always kind of focused on and thinking about what we don't have, even in our prayers, even when we're talking to God. And so f- sometimes one of the things that stops all of us from really living fully into a life of a steward is we are always consumed by what we don't have. And when crisis comes, right, when crisis comes, when things begin to challenge us, when hardship comes, it is just as easy in that moment to cry out to God, to make our requests known, to, to ask what him to step in, and we almost always will ask God to do something with what we don't have. And I've heard this said before, and I, don't, I can't really promise you this applies to every single thing, but I've heard it said before in terms of the miracles of God, is that the miracles of God always seem to start with what we still have, even if that's just your faith. Okay? The miracles of God always seem to start and are rooted in what we already have, not in what we don't have. God can provide what we don't have, but he seems to start with what you have. And I want you just to remember this, especially from the story. You always have something. Even when you respond, if somebody were looking at you today and be like, you know, what do you have? You know, all of us are saying, ah, nothing. Right? Nothing at all. I don't have anything. They've got this and they've got that and they've got this and they've got that. I don't have anything. And part of that problem is sometimes we're thinking about strengths. We're thinking about gifts. We're thinking about talents. We're thinking about opportunities, resources that other people have, but we don't. 
And I want you to just think about this for a minute. I'm going to end with a story today as well, but I don't want you to think about strengths. I want you to think about there's always something that you have that God can use. And that could be, could be, it could be all that you have left is a fracture in your, in your life story. A divorce, a loss, an illness. That's what you have. See, we wouldn't think of that. We'd be like, well, I don't have anything. No, you have something that God can use when you understand stewardship. When you understand that even the things that we would never have wanted, God still can use for him, for his glory. Second thing, our capacity, our capacity will often determine our possibilities. Okay, our capacity will always determine our possibilities. Now, the reason I say that is because the part of this story that I've always found incredible is that the olive oil flowed the olive oil continued to flow as long as they had jars to fill it. It continued to flow. Now, it's different. Now, I don't know if you remember Elijah having a, having a widow where she had a little bit of oil and a little bit of mill, right? And, and, he, and he basically just said, well, it's never going to run out, okay? It's never going to run out. So they always, they always had a little bit of oil, a little bit of milk. They always seemed to have just enough, kind of like the manna, you know, for God's people in the, in, the, in the desert. Like it was just enough for the day. You only collected enough for the day. So there's, there's miracles like that where it's still unending. Yet in this particular situation, Elisha goes, okay, you're going to be engaged in this miracle. You're going to have to do something, okay? You're going to have to go out and get as many jars as you possibly can. Okay, you're going to have to make jars, you're going to have to find jars, you're going to have to invite people into this, you're going to have to do all of this, and the miracle itself is going to be determined by the capacity that you have. The miracle is going to be determined by the capacity that you bring to it, that you have in your life. I always found this fascinating, and yet sometimes, this is just me, Sometimes our lives are so chaotic, they're so overscheduled, they're so marginless that I don't know if we even leave room for God to do what we are asking him to do in our life because we're distracted. We're distracted every waking minute, whether we're on the TV or on our phones or, you know, we're lost in a social media time warp. Everybody knows what those are, right? I just went on to look to see someone's birthday seven hours later, Right? That happens. And yet, we're not physically, emotionally, or even financially capable. Like, we don't have the capacity to even receive a miracle, to even receive the blessing of God and the provision he wants for us because we have filled our lives. Okay, we haven't lived intentionally. We're not preparing for this. Going back again to the big idea of stewardship, we don't really live as if it all is his and we're entrusted with it as stewards We really think it's all ours, and so we consume and we consume and we consume. And oftentimes, our capacity, what what we actually have open, what we've planned and prepared and predetermined and predecided and intentionally figured out to leave room and margin in our lives for God to do what we are actually asking him to do. 
And, and, and I'll be honest, one of my fears in life is that I won't have the capacity to be able to receive from God what I continually pray and I want him to do in and through me. I think the potential can be there. The potential can be there. But understand, it's not potential that determines it. It's, it's whether or not we're living in such a way that, I, that we are capable, that we have this capacity to be able to do it, to be able to receive it, to be able to, to fund it, to be able to do, you know, to go to that mission field, to be able to go, on, you know, where he's called you to go, to be able to do some of the things he's called you to do, to be able to pause when he tells you to pause, and to be able to sprint and run and not stop until he tells you to stop. Like, there has to be capacity in you and me. I think that God wants us to engage in. Again, you know, you can't look at a single miracle and see the same thing happen over and over and over and over and over again. For whatever reason, Elisha, God through Elisha, wanted her to participate in this miracle. And the capacity determined what was going to be possible. Everybody with me? It reminds me when Jesus would, would you know, heal the guy who was blind. And it wasn't like he couldn't just say, okay, see. We, we, you know, he, a girl was healed just by touching the string on the bottom of his robe. Well, like he couldn't do it. He still, I mean, you know, Jesus would do, you know, he's Jesus, right? He spits in mud and makes something on the guy's eyes and tells him to now go find a fountain. Go find this specific fountain. The blind man, go find the fountain and wash off. Do you guys with me? Like we are, we're part of this. We're engaged in these miracles, these blessings, these provisions, because he always starts with what you have, not with what you don't have. Here's the third one, and, I, and, th- and I'm saying this, I've got to kind of go quickly, but I want you to be careful what you pray for. Be careful what you pray for. Why? Well, because you may not have the capacity to receive it, because you're not yet living prepared, intentional lives as stewards of God. So you have to be careful what you pray for. I mean, so just some of the things I'm going to mark off here, I want you, to, I want you personally to think about, okay? Think about what this woman had to do to receive the answer and the request from the prophet, from God, okay? First, first thing, she had to tell all the neighbors and her friends her business, okay? She had to go to all the neighbors and her friends and ask for jars. Now, they probably already knew her business, but you know how we are about people being in our business, right? Okay? She had to be humble. She had to be humble enough to ask other people for help. She had to invite other people in her life, in her circle, to be a part of what God was going to do in her life. I'll be honest with you. For most of us, we've immediately shut down what God wants to do in our life because we're too proud, we're too vain, we're too embarrassed, we're too ashamed to ask people for help, to invite people into our lives, to invite people into our, into our story. So God, can, you're going to pray for it. God, fix this. Heal them. Do this. Do that. Intercede here. But you won't do what you need to do for God to be able to do the work. I mean, just think about that moment. Would you have been able to do what she did? 
she had to get her sons involved. She had to get her sons on board, which I think they would have been because they were going to be slaves, so they were probably up for anything, right? She had to get her sons involved. She had to follow the instructions that the prophet gave her to the, to the T. Shut the door. Get everything you possibly can. Keep pouring. Here's the other thing. She, once she started the process, she couldn't stop. There was no stopping. There, this wasn't a side thing. This wasn't a side hustle, you know? I'm going to fill some jars at night when I have time. No, no, no. This was, this was everything. It consumed her life for that period of time and could not stop until it was done. Do you have that in you? Do you have the, do you have the capacity in you to sustain that? To run for as long and as hard as he possibly tells you to run until you can stop? So I'm just, I'm just saying that there's principles here that I find so incredibly beneficial to continue to remind me of what stewardship looks like. When I'm praying prayers, when I'm asking God to intercede and to do what only he can do, only God could manifest olive oil, right? Only God could do that. But she had to do all that she could do. She had to collect the jar. She had to be humble. She had to go and be a part of this. She had to get her sons involved. She had to, she had to commit to the process fully in order to experience all of it. And at the time, I don't, again, she didn't really fully know what to do or what the plan was. And Elisha said, okay, here's the plan. You know, use it to, use it to pay your creditors. Use it as an opportunity to live the life that, that you can live with you and your sons. Prayer is one of those things that I think, again, sometimes it's a, there's a lot of name it and claim it sort of religions. There's a lot of uh, people, even in our 21 days of prayer, there's going to be verses you come across that talk about praying and asking God for things and there's nothing impossible for God to do and, and he can deliver and he can do these things. Um, but I love what James, the brother of Jesus, says to his church, to his followers. Because he, he, was, he was talking about some of, the, some of the issues that happen in our lives, some of the issues in, in the church. And he talks, and he kind of mentions prayer, but he doesn't come at, James doesn't come at it from a name it and claim it standpoint. James gives some insight that you need to be careful what you pray for. You need to understand this about you and about me. He goes, he starts off, this is in James 4. What's causing the quarrels and fights among you? The disagreements, the quarrels, the fights. Don't they come from evil desires at war within you? Selfishness, greed, vain, you know? I mean, all sorts of things. You want what you don't have, <laughs> right? You want what you don't have. So you scheme to kill to get it. Hopefully none of you have done that. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. This was just their time. Yet, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Again, this, is, this can come from some of those name it and claim it kind of, kind of verses, but you've got to read it in this context. But even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. Like, like you don't have it because you didn't ask God for it, but even if you did ask him for it, you don't have it because your motives are wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure? It's all about you. It's all about me. 
And I think if we want to have a better understanding of stewardship, we, we might want to just start with what we pray for. Just start with what we pray for. How do we pray? Right? Do we pray in such a way that's like, okay, God, you know, everything is yours. I'm so grateful for everything you've given me, all the good and all the bad and all the things I, I don't like. I'm still, I'm still going to find a way to be grateful for it. And then I'm going to pray these requests and these things, and I'm going to leave it completely to your will because hopefully you have a, a plan for this, and hopefully you have a thing for this, and I just want your will to be done. I've been faithful in my commitments. I've, I've, pre, I've made all the decisions I needed to make. I'm living intentionally as a follower and as a steward of you. And, you know, fill in the blank. Heal mom, you know. F- you know intercede at work here. You know, do this. But your will be done. Amen. Is that how you pray? Or do you pray like I pray? God, do you even know what's going on? Right? Can't you do something about this? Can't you fix that? Can't you solve this? Can't you step in here? And even though I'm a pastor, even though I can, I can weave that, that phrase out loud to sound really spiritual... Sometimes I'm just praying because it's what I want. It's my selfish desire. It's all about how it's going to make me feel. It's all about the outcomes I want that are best for me. I'm not saying all the time, but I do pray that way. It's easy to slip right into. So we have to be careful what we pray for because most of the time we're not really thinking about stewardship when we pray. We're not thinking about, I mean, don't, don't take this that you can't ask personal requests from God. Of course you can. The widow didn't want her sons to be in, in, you know, in slaves. Like there's a, God always looks at our personal requests. Personal requests are fine. But are you coming to him with personal requests from a stewardship standpoint of, God, I have honored all my commitments to you. I have lived my life with first fruits to you, God. I have, I have given, I have committed, I have pledged, and I have been faithful. Your will be done. God, I'm praying this because I do want to see this happen. But your will be done. I'll continue to be faithful no matter what. We have to be careful how we pray and what we're praying for because part of this might still require something of you that you're just not ready. I'm just telling you, I don't think sometimes we understand we might be praying for something that would change and alter our lives that we don't actually want to change or alter. And we're not ready for it. We could be. We can be. We can live in such a way with our ducks in a row that every area of life is is sort of aligning in stewardship that it all goes to him. It all points to him. It all is his because we've been entrusted with so much. I'm going to close it with this. Okay, let me just give you this really quickly. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite comics as a kid was Spider-Man. Yeah, everybody with me on Spider-Man? Okay. Why? Because every kid wants to be, you know, wake up with superpowers. Every kid wants to have that, right? Why? Even if we have to get bit by a radioactive spider, it's fine. Okay? If I could wake up and climb walls and have superpowers, that would be great. Okay? 
This, is a, this was from Stanley, and uh, I can't even remember when it originated, but this is a phrase that most people would understand if they've ever followed uh, Spider-Man. This, this is the Peter Parker principle is what they call it. With great power comes great responsibility, right? Uncle Ben says this. This is most of the genealogy. It's what Uncle Ben says to young Peter before he dies. Now, what's really funny is that that phrase itself, you can actually find the origin of it in 1793 in a, in a document in the French Revolution. That same phrase. Really cool. So it wasn't Stan Lee who came up with it, all right? But I even think that the, the, the origin goes back even further than that. And I want to read this passage again from Luke, where Jesus says this. The Lord replied, a faithful, sensible servant is one whom the master can give the responsibility and trust of managing other, others in his household, servants, and feeding them. And if the master returns and finds the servant did a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put the servant in charge of, say the words. Yeah, he'll put him in charge of everything if he's a faithful, sensible servant. But what if the servant thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants or partying and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will, yeah, we don't like this part, he will cut the servant into pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. And the servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out the instructions. Let me just go back real quick. The servant who knows what the master wants, isn't that our theme verse? You want to understand and know what God wants? but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out the instructions will be severely punished. But someone who does not know and that does something wrong will be punished only lightly. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. The Peter Parker principle is, is great. But this is the Jesus principle. Go to the next slide. Those who have been given, or those who have been trusted with much, even more will be required. Those who have been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Where there's great power comes great responsibility. This is the same, same theme that Jesus is letting us know. You've been entrusted with everything. Everything you have is yours because God has entrusted it to you. What are you going to do with it? Are you living prepared, intentional lives of stewardship? Where you really do, and we're going to talk about this over the next several weeks, where you really, really do know the why to the what's in your life. You do, you've made decisions based on priorities and values and things in your life that you've predecided things so that, so that they, they function and everything starts to move in the same direction because that is the goal for every area of our life able to move forward and move the way God wants it to move. This is a verse I'll just close with from 2 Corinthians. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times may abound in every good work. There's a couple different translations that you can look at this and really kind of catch the meaning of it. But I love this particular translation. Why? Because 
I think when we think through what God is able to do, it gets us excited. It gets us inspired about our faith. God is able to heal. He's able to miraculously provide. He's able to do all of these things. But yet, regardless of what God is able to do, the purpose is that in all sufficiency, everything you need in the times that you need it to do the work he wants you to do can be available to you. And when I think about that story of the widow, I think about how God engages us in that. He engages us in that as long as we are living out our stewardship, as long as we understand. When he comes to us and says, what do you have? And you go, you're just natural. Nothing, nothing. God, I don't have anything. You already know I don't have anything. Well, don't you have this, 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 this? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I have, except I, I do have that. Are you prepared? <laughs> You're not going to get your ducks in a row without this. It starts with this. It starts with understanding stewardship. It starts with understanding that it's all his. All your strengths, all your talents, all your desires, all your dreams. Listen real closely. All your struggles, all your hardships, all your illnesses, they're all his. And they're all going to be used in some way, shape, and form to bring glory to God because that's what the Word of God tells us. How we engage in this, how we, how we engage in this bigger picture, which again we're going to spend the next few weeks on, is going to determine what's possible. I want every one of us here to just be focused on those three words over the next few weeks. What does it mean to be prepared? What does it mean to be intentional? And even thinking about today, like what is, do I really get a, do I really understand stewardship? Do I really pray that way? Do I really live that way? Because this is what, this is what it's going to take to get our ducks in a row. This is what it's going to take to see every area of our life begin to find alignment, to begin to find that synergy and moving in the direction God has for us. Let's pray for us. Father God, I just ask your blessing over this group and over those watching online and engaging this morning that your words and your challenge would be clear to us. That right now the Holy Spirit has been doing a work in our hearts and and maybe it's different for every single person here. It's different in terms of where you're nudging us and where you're, where you're poking and where you're pointing out things in our life that, that we need to have a better understanding of stewardship. God, maybe it's the principles from the story of this widow and Elisha. Maybe that's something that we have to work through as we leave this place today. Maybe it's simply the idea that we are... We're, the, we're, the, we're the, the, the servants who are simply not prepared and we're not following the instructions, and we know it. We know it. God, begin to change our hearts, begin to change our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. May we not act thoughtlessly. May we not be foolish, God, but to take advantage of every opportunity in these evil days, God, that we would understand what you desire from us, to do. That's our heart. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.